welcome to Read This Fucking Book, episode 22, A Court of Wings and Ruin, and A Court of Frost and Starlight. I'm Rachel. I'm Elena. And I'm Lauren. Lauren is back. She's guesting as we finish the Mass Trilogy Plus One. Uh, as we know, this is the third and then fourth novella for the Court books written by Sarah J. Mass. This one, uh, Court of Wings and Ruin, was... I guess, I mean, it did the same as all the others. Like, they all reached, and I guess are still on some of the bestseller list. They got some good reader awards. Uh, but they, they, they're they just very, very popular new adult books as we continue the adventures of Feyre and Rizand and the Inner Court and her sisters. So, And that's uh, the, the inter, Inner Court, not Intercourse, although that would oh, also yes. be appropriate. <laughs> yes. I so mean, there's yeah, plenty I'm, of that in this there book. There is plenty. Yeah. So tell us, Elena, as the new reader, what the hell is this book about? All right. So the this book picks up more or less right where the second one left off, which was um, with Feyre having been basically kidnapped by Tamlin, the High Lord of the Spring Court, and um, what he thinks is to go back and be his bride uh, with her mating bond to resand broken and instead Farah is basically working to undermine Tamlin's court so she can get back to her true love and her real court which is the night court and once she accomplishes that they then have to deal with the fact that Highburn is in fact um, going to war with them and trying to invade their country so they have the politicking of um, trying to coordinate resources with the other high lords of Prithian and than the actual playing out of the war. Uh, there wasn't really a lot of surprises in terms of like the overall plot line here. It was more just like these the, the playing out of events set up in the first two books. So all right. And the this book's broken into three sections, basically same as the last two. Uh, we do have a prologue from Rizan's point of view uh, that is like a flashback of him during the original war where the wall was built. So like five, yeah. the, the war 500 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that's cool. Just getting inside Rizan's head a little bit uh, and seeing all of, and seeing kind of his relationship with Azrael and Cassian mm-hmm. and his father. And just some of that, I think it's also just like a good reminder of some of the drama that's been maybe only obliquely referenced that's going to come to a head. Uh, but we've got the Princess of Carrion is our is section one, which is really Feyre kind of being the double agent in the spring court. And I know, Elena, you were excited to read mm-hmm. read that section. So was it everything you wanted? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it was... <laughs> um, it was definitely what I was hoping for because um, Feyre absolutely like kept her head she kept herself um contained she played the part she needed to play and she fucked tamlin's shit up and even better she left him alive and kind of holding the bag for all of it so yeah. um it was it was pretty perfect as far as um a double agent work goes and um, it was a little even... it was a little sad though to think like she came back and then just Tamlin immediately put her in the same role that she was in 
mm-hmm. before she left. It was like, oh, just go up here and paint and like do nothing and just yeah, no, like it. It it absolutely justified um, her sort of like fuck you to him because yes, it's like she is remembering it correctly. <laughs> yeah, like there, there's there, there was no there. Yeah, she didn't project anything. She didn't like make it make up any story. If anything, it was like worse than she remembered. She's like you know giving him way too much credit. Like maybe I was just that broke. No, like no, no, he was just that oblivious and or controlling and or like just stupid and like denying your strength and intelligence and will to fight as a person it's like he really did just want the you know he he wanted a cut a cardboard cutout princess broodmare and like that was all he needed someone to play that role not an actual person that he had to deal with as a person and as a complicated you know intelligence other than his own Mm-hmm. Well, it's what we talked about um, in our, our last uh, examination of the series. He hasn't learned anything. No. Uh, Farah has learned and grown and taken all of these valuable lessons away from these situations, uh, whereas Tam Lin hasn't at all. Like, he just keeps repeating the same cycle <laughs> over and over and over. I mean, even with the fact that Moss kind of opens this book, yeah, we get Rizan's, you know, sort of little intro moment, but then we're right back where we started in the spring court, and everything's the same. Fair is not, but everything else is. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that now in this third book, Farah finally knows how to play politics. She's yeah. figured it out. She's no longer just thinking of herself and she's playing the game and she's playing to win it and she knows it. Um, and yeah, she's there to fuck shit up. So <laughs> I really love that. So do you think, do you think that, um, well, one, do you think that she did everything she could have to, to fuck it up? You know, I mean, it seems as if a lot of the things she did were fairly passive, well, you know, I think uh, you may have brought this up somewhere in prior discussion, um, but she's essentially, she knows what he's going to do at this point, right? Like, she pretty much has figured him out. Um, she kind of knows what's going to happen. She knows what she's walking back into. And so she's really just giving him the rope to hang herself, or right. himself, I should say. Like, yeah. she's she's playing the game because she knows what he's going to do and pretty much all the scenarios she lays out. And so even when there are all these other players that she doesn't really know, you know, how they're going to react necessarily, she, she does know how Tam Lin is going to act, and she knows how Lucian's going to act, and she plays right into it. And here's, here, here's what, bo- um, like, because I think that's absolutely accurate. And what bothers me about Tamlin later saying, oh, she ruined my court, oh, yeah. she turned everyone against me, is that like, she didn't really do... Though- she didn't do that. All she did was set up a situation where he where he could have chosen at any point not to make the shitty, like, traditionalist, um, hot-headed Tamlin decision that he made well, like in the, all of those situations, scene, and it would have gone a different way. Like, it had he, scene, like, chosen otherwise. So. Yeah. Yeah, the, the scene where he's going to whip the guard yeah. mm-hmm. is a perfect example of that, you know? And she knows what the outcome of him doing this is going to be, and she steps in and she tries to stop. I mean, yeah, it plays into her plan, but she still steps in and, like, mm-hmm. says, Tamlin, don't do that. 
Like, well, yeah, making herself story. more likable than Tamlin isn't really much of a strategy in terms of destroying the court. Like Tamlin's exactly made, Tamlin's made himself uh, an object of of ridicule uh, from his for his subjects. Mm-hmm. Favor doesn't have to stoop to his level. She can exactly. be herself. Yeah. So, and and I I think it I don't know to me it's just like indicative, I guess, of his own inability to accept responsibility for his actions and his choices. That even like at the end of the fucking book, he's still like Pharaoh ruined my court. Like, well, he he, it's kind of like the whole situation with Under the Mountain, mm-hmm. where he decides to stay at home and essentially yeah, do nothing and like wait it out. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I, I think that all three of us are on different levels of the spectrum of feminism. Um, but rereading this book, at least especially like this particular section, and then later on when we have the meeting of the High Lords, uh, oh, that the, the, ah! feminist, the feminist term toxic max- masculinity yes. kept like coming out at me yeah. because I was like, here is an example of Tam Lin essentially having that toxic masculinity and being unable to like control his shit versus Rizand. Oh, we're going to talk about that because, because there are, I mean, I would argue that Rizand and company also display toxic masculinity. Oh, totally. Totally. Let's put that off for a second. So, uh, before, (laughs) before we get there, um, I did, I'm trying to go through our notes here. Um, I did want to talk about, uh, before we kind of just get into all of this, right? Like, we we know where Favor is. We know how she feels. And in the book, she's still able to, you know, communicate with Rizand a little bit so that we know that everything at home is doing okay. And I want to know what you guys think about that because as I was rereading, I actually texted Elena. I was like, I think that was a mistake because knowing that Cassian and Azrael are okay kind of ruins some of that suspense for me personally as a reader. What did, um, what did you guys think? You know, but I thought it, because at the end of the second book, uh, we kind of ended on that scene where everyone's like, oh my god, why did you let, you know, Farrah get taken or whatever, and Rizan's like, chill guys, like, we got this, (laughs) you know, we're mated, we're married, we've got the bond, like, she, like, this was planned, you know, so for me, like, we ended on that note, so then starting on that note from Farrah's side wasn't really like didn't ruin anything for me because we already kind of had that from the last book do you think that it's okay that and i I, this may be a uh, something that i find problematic with masses writing in general so cassian and asriel both recover fully as if nothing had ever happened to them for for me I i think this was something you and i had talked about um during this section um was how just just from a narrative tension point of view, it basically sets the stage that the main characters are okay. They're always going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really, like, um, I don't know, it, it, it does under, for me, it, it really undermines some of the dramatic tension. Whereas, like, a sh- I mean, a show like Game of Thrones, where, you know, people kind of die left and right or get maimed, you know, so even if they survive, there's very, like, clear consequences um, for people poor choices or just situations they don't have control over and have to play out, um, I, I think does a much better job of, of maintaining um, a sense of genuine threat to the yeah. characters. Um, well, I think it's especially in terms of like Cassian, like I understand that 
later on what he does is is heroic but i it really bothers me that his wigs are fine like he's just fine he's just the same old cassian he doesn't have anything he's not working through anything the way that Feyre is the way that resand is uh i don't know it bothered me a little bit and it also i i mean i understand like the point of her of, of it being a plan like maybe it's plan c or plan d but it was a plan to have her go to the spring court and then she could still communicate with Rosand. but i just felt like i was like oh everything's fine and i'm just kind of reveling in the mischief that Feyre is committing mm-hmm. but i kind of felt like we needed that a yeah. little bit after I mean, it's a very long books. book. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's a very long book. It's a very satisfying read. Um, but after the last two books, I definitely really kind of wanted to just revel in that a little bit. Like, after all the things that Tamlin has put her through, like, God damn it, go back and get your own Pharaoh. Like, that whole first <laughs> section of the book. And I'm like, I was waiting for what she was going to do, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so, like, Ianthe. You want to talk about Ianthe? Oh, Ianthe. Yeah. And, I mean, Ianthe, she's so oily. Like, she's yeah. just so... And, like, I love the moment where Pharaoh wakes up in the tent with her and has the knife. And, like, mm-hmm. I can't remember quite what she said, but was essentially, like, you know, friends or enemies to or whatever it was. And, like, Ianthe just gets this, like... Like, Ianthe keeps getting this hint of what mm-hmm. Pharaoh can do, especially, like, starting with that ritual... Mm-hmm. Where Farah totally, you know, yep. Machiavelli's the hell out of that shit and, like, gets this glorious moment. And so, like, she keeps showing Ianthe just these little hints of what's really going on. And he It's like, I can do I- what you do, too. Yeah. Exactly. And you would think that Ianthe would be smart enough to be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Like, this isn't, this isn't the poor little girl I met, you know, last Well, time. I think Ianthe thinks that if she can just keep you know tamlin and lucian in a way kind of because that's who she controls right like mm-hmm. we know from patterns that ianthe concentrates her her efforts on men and she sort of underestimates favor in that ability because she's like okay well favor's messing with me but it doesn't matter as long as i can control tamlin mm-hmm. that's true and, um, I, and I, I think ianthe also has the direct link to highburn and that's kind of in her back pocket too um right so she's she, like pharaoh doesn't know pharaoh's yeah. just playing games but but then. even if pharaoh is just playing games pharaoh wasn't playing games before at least not like that and you well just- and also it's like she spent all that time in the night court and we know that ianthe has experience dealing with Rizand, and you wouldn't think that like maybe pharaoh's got something in her back pocket too right Right. Like, Ianthe, she's one of those villains that, like, you're so satisfied oh, yeah. with what ends up happening. Um, <laughs> she's like gray tongue. Yeah, she's like gray, uh, gray tongue or worm tongue, worm tongue and, uh, yeah. or like, or like, uh, Peter Baelish or, you know, like, she's just oily and shitty and just gets what's coming to her in the end. But at like, the when same she's time, like, she fell. <laughs> like, yeah. She fell. At the same time, you're like, why, Ianthe? Like, why aren't you smarter? <laughs> like... I got mad at her. Um, okay, before we move on to the next section, I do want to touch on uh, Lu- the the ongoing saga of how useless Lucian is. Uh, <laughs> so when Feyre makes her break, right, she confronts the people of Hi- of Highburn and those the two generals, the two weirdly incestuous generals. Maybe yep. are they? Yeah, everybody feel that. I wondered, 
it's implied. I wonder, uh, yeah, it's totally, it's not even okay. implied. Like, it's I'm like, totally has Game of Thrones and... broken me, or are they really fucking? I can't tell. No, and I, I wondered if Sarah J. Moss was watching Game of Thrones a little bit <laughs> when she was writing some of this. I mean... Yeah, well, in that scene where Favorite kills them mm-hmm. uh, and gets Ianthe in the hand, yep, that was like the first like moment. Where and Lucian's like, just yes! standing there, like what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, it kind of ties perfectly into the whole Lucian is useless thing, right? Yeah. Um, and there you've got Pharaoh like having Ianthe bash her own hand, and he's like, <laughs> "You will never touch anyone ever again against you know their will." and uh, she's just killed these two highburn generals. Like it's a great moment. <laughs> it's a yeah, really she great. The thing about Farah is, and I will, and I'm going to cop to this. This reread, for whatever reason, and I've probably read this book three or four times now, but this particular reread, I've always been a Farah stan, and this time I was kind of like Farah sucks. And this is, <laughs> this is no, but this is my reasoning. Like that was all super badass, and I loved it, and I and I love her journey. But the way she treats Lucian is completely unacceptable. First off, she knows who his real father is, doesn't tell him. She knows that Ianthe is abusing him, doesn't, like, acknowledge that. Like, punishes Ianthe, but she doesn't, like, try to talk to Lucian about it. She's not a good friend. You know, but Lucian wasn't a good friend to her. That's I think I true. sent you guys. I think I sent this quote to you guys earlier, and this is one of the reasons I sent it. The quote was something along the lines of, "They saw my pain, and they did nothing about it." And like yeah. Lucian, like just kind of sits aside through all of this. It's, they and saw my suffering useless. and did nothing to help me. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And so you know, and. You know, and I will say also for some of this stuff, I agree with you on, like, not telling him about his father and blah, blah, blah. But we've, we've got more books to go. I have a feeling yeah. where some of this stuff may be dealt with. But, like, that quote right there really summarized, like, this entire situation. Because there's venge- there's venge- vengeance lives in Pharaoh, and it's not, always, it's not always good, and it's not always righteous. Right. And that's one of the reasons I like Pharaoh as a character. She's not this, perf- you know, perfect heroine that does the right thing all the time like sometimes she's like nope i'm gonna fuck you up and i'm gonna enjoy doing it and i'm going to essentially like live the monster in me i mean we'll get to this later but that's the whole uh mirror or a boros situation right like Mm -hmm. she has to confront the fact that she is kind of a monster in a lot of ways and um well, so, the, the Fae have always been monsters, right? They they started right, out right. at the beginning as monsters, and she's one of them. Yeah, totally. Right. It's very poetic. Yeah, so, you know, for Lucian, well, yeah, I mean, there are some, like, shitty things she does to him. He also did some Poor really fucked up like, shit with her. He needs one <laughs> decent friend, though. He just but she is. One. No, she, she's no, not. She, not she him. gets him out. She gets him out of the spring court. She gets him back to the night court. So she's his she lift driver. gives him a shot. <laughs> she gets him to Elaine. Um, and he does actually end up doing something, even though we don't really he see any of it. And then it's like, stay in your room. Don't talk to my sister. I'm going to control both of you. Fair is so controlling in this book. <laughs> whatever oh. whatever then he goes he goes off on his own adventure and we don't see any of it but he does do something we're not quite sure what something. he kind of kind of ran into people out in the middle of the ocean apparently and was like you need to come back and save everyone in the woods. he found a he found a bird it's all very <laughs> metaphorical yeah yeah 
Um, all right. So yeah, so she, she, she and Lucian make their escape. They're making, they make their way through the autumn court. They confront his brothers who suck. Oh, they suck so hard. And we get my, like literally my favorite scene, which is sad because it's at the beginning of the book, but it's my favorite scene where she's on the ice and they're running from his brothers and they're, they're kind of making their last stand, but she gets grabbed and she's not, she's losing the fight. And then suddenly Cassian and Azriel make their entrances and it's just like, <laughs> I can hear the music. I can see it in my head. I get goosebumps every time I read it. I'm just like, yes. And then like the shadow hits the ice and you're like, yes, yes, Cassian is here. And then the other shadow hits the ice and the, and the shadows go skittering. And it's like, yes, Azrael's here. You guys are fucked. You're fucked. Y'all fucked. <laughs> I love it. And then like Cassian's whole like, hello, Feyre. <laughs> it's just like what's up what's up well and lucian's still <laughs> sitting there like what's happening <laughs> he does fight he helps Azrael hold it off the other you know the other brothers but then he, he has does. to get carried by Azrael, which is a little like there's a little no homo stuff happening but again that's more of the toxic masculinity we could talk mm-hmm. about but i just love that scene where they're just like hey what's up <laughs> you mean to kick these guys asses they bothering you are they bothering you well, and then she has to tell them to not kill them, right? Yeah. Like she's, the one, she's the one like, I'm playing the politics still. No, we need them. You know? Cassie's like, Don't are you them. sure though? But you know, like, I have to say, like, there's nothing more satisfying sometimes than like having a couple of your male friends come over and be like, is this guy bothering you? <laughs> <laughs> like, bless every male friend I've ever had that has like been willing to make that that choice to be like if this guy's bothering you i will i will fuck with him and it's like okay because like that doesn't always happen right like mm-hmm. they're totally it's, because it's not always the mature thing and like you know there's a lot of reasons but there's something a little satisfying being like ah oh, this my friend is is recognizing that this is a shitty situation and they and they're going to help me and totally. I, I yeah and i just i just like how that scene sort of evokes that for me anyway <laughs> well it's, it's also one of the few times we get to uh see cassian and as just be complete badasses and yes, like there that. aren't really stakes for it it's just like they get to be a badass and you know that had ferris slipped their leash they would have won and like no question right. L- lucian's well, the only uh, son of baron walking away Right. And they're like the funny kind of comedic idiots that are like part of the group where you're just like, they're like pets almost sometimes <laughs> in their idiocy. But it's like you realize it's like, wait, no, no. Cassian commands the armies and Azrael commands the spies and they're actually kind of badass. Well, I mean, that comes up later, uh, you know, like during the actual war scenes, right? Where like mm-hmm. people have forgotten how badass Cassian and Ezreal are. And then they just stand like, on the battlefield watching him. They're just like, I'll just right. stand here. I'm just going to observe. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, the, you know, when you have the meeting with the lords too, when uh, the autumn court walks in, you, you get building? that sort of. <laughs> You oh get that gosh. almost uh, Three Stooges effect, right? Yeah. <laughs> With the brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, you know, they get back. Reese and uh, Feyre have their reunion sex. Uh, There's Lucian. a lot of sex in this book. Can we just yes. point that out for a minute? Because, like, I feel like in the second book, we're, like, waiting for it. And it finally happens. And we're like, yes. 
And then in this book, we get like all the sex and it's amazing. It is amazing because it's not as if it doesn't exist. Like, I, I mean, I just, I like the way that she, like, yes, it's a romance novel. And a lot of times romance novels are structured in a way where it like, it all builds to the sex scene or builds to like two different sex scenes. And it's always formulaic, right? It's like the first sex scene is always like the her pleasure sex scene. And then the second one is always like. <laughs> You know, the, like, the, we can't control ourselves, we're going to bone real hard sex scene. And then, I mean, obviously, this is how it works. But I really like how she, like, yeah, the sex is hot, but it's also, like, it exists. Like, you're in a relationship with someone, you're going to be boning. Like, and and it's almost natural, and there's no guilt, and they're, you know, and they're not manipulating each other with it. They're just boning. Enjoying it. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I, it, I appreciate Enjoying that. it in a way that I feel like she never enjoyed it with Tamlin, where yeah. it was always a little, you know, manipulative or like... And a way to avoid talking to power each other. power over her. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It was unhealthy. Unhealthy boning versus healthy boning. Yeah, Ladies well, and mean, gentlemen. It's, it's because... It's because her relationship with Tamlin didn't have anything else to it. They couldn't have a conversation. They didn't deal with anything. Exactly. They just like, oh, Everyone's we have a problem. Let's that- fuck. Yeah, everyone's had that relationship where it's like we have nothing in common. We're just, we're just holes and stuff to put in holes together, <laughs> and it works for a second, but it's not for everything. Uh, uh. So yeah, so they have their reunion, and then it kind of moves into the next kind of section of the book. Um, I guess we could stop here and talk about Nesta and Elaine. Let's stop here and talk about Nesta and Elaine. So. Okay, so this is my favorite Nesta book. Um, <laughs> I I think, like you were saying uh, about Farah not being your favorite character in this novel, I still like Farah. I mean, I like her, of... but I I realize that she's a problem. Right, but uh, I think Nesta in this book really sort of finally comes into focus in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, when we talk about the the next sort of installment, we can talk about how pissed off I am about what happens with Nesta. Um, but I felt like in this book, Nesta finally becomes much more of a three-dimensional character. And even though she and Ferris still, like, don't talk to each other, they talk to each other a lot more. And you finally get much more of that. Like, I kept waiting for that, like, emotional bonding to happen. And in this one, like, Nesta almost relents. Right. Not quite, but almost um, and they are finally able, like the three of them at least, to kind of almost come together and function almost <laughs> the way almost. that like they should have been functioning or that you wanted them to function in the very first book when like it wasn't happening at all. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I, I don't have sisters. I don't know what it's like to have sisters, but I do have, um, two double first cousins. So they're genetically half siblings. So they're basically my sisters. And when I think of, like, how we function as, like, a triad and how, like, I mean, our, our roles aren't prescribed, right? But, like, you tend to, like, fill the, you know, whatever side is empty of the triad at, in that moment. And mm-hmm. I feel like the three of them are kind of stuck in that kind of relationship as well. Whereas, like, Nesta is the authority, Feyre is the provider, and uh, actually, Elena, I would like you to describe the the triangle thing that you sent me, because that was fascinating. Oh. Uh, 
yeah, it's uh, I, I forget what the name of it is. I know it is the Drama Triangle. I think it's Cartman or Car- some, something like that with a K, um, Cartman's Drama Triangle. Um, but it's essentially that um, it's a style of, of unhealthy and role-based, um, emotionally immature relating, where you have a, a victim, a rescuer, and a perpetrator. And so it's essentially where you have the perpetrator um, uh, being cruel to the victim. So the rescuer steps in um, and saves the victim. And it, it can kind of shift, but like the same three people can like shift through the different roles depending on the situation and how it's going. Right. But yeah. it, it's essentially um, a, a way that traps everybody in roles because the, the rescuer doesn't actually want the victim to stop being a victim because what would the rescuer do if they weren't rescuing it's it's less like it kind of becomes uh, almost part of your identity and with, within the sisters elaine is obviously the victim and nesta and Feyre kind of take turns who's the persecutor and who's the rescuer but like they both... i mean it's it works so well when you sent yeah. me that i was like oh my god <laughs> this is them and also Feyre as rescuer works in a lot of her relationships with people mm-hmm. like if you if you kind of apply that to a lot of the interactions that she has with people even like her Rizand and Tamlin or her Lucian and Tamlin or like like she's always she can't she that's who she thinks she is in her head mm-hmm. and um the uh the the kind of high side or mature side of of graduating out of uh the drama triangle is I think the empowerment triad and that's where uh the victim becomes um uh the um like the quester and the persecutor becomes the challenger who's going to like ask the hard questions and like say are you really sure and the rescuer becomes the coach where it's like okay how can i help you attain the skills that you need to do this for yourself but it's like i'm going i have to step back and let you actually do it and figure this out um which i think that's much more like the role resand tends to have is like he's more right. of like that i'm going to give you what you need but you have to do it for yourself and although i mean even he has his moments of like i'm gonna rescue the world <laughs> <laughs> you know the fucking hero complex only me it's only me i'm only i can he's batman <laughs> uh but i i think that this is a really great i think it's a if you look it up there's like there's a great thing on Wikipedia that explains it with the graph and everything. And that's really all I needed to, to understand it. But especially like if you as author mass kind of, I think had these two sisters because it's traditional in the in the, in the beauty and the beast thing that she had these two sisters, but didn't really know what to do with them. And then ended up kind of being like, well, they're, they're going to be immortal. They're going to enter her world. What do I fucking do with them? Right. Mm-hmm. And so they have to very quickly have roles in Feyre's life. That's not just people for her to worry about and take care of, which she does. That's her default. That's what she's always done. But I think that the triangle really helps me because often I think of Elaine as the youngest one and Nesta as the middle child, which is complete opposite. It's Nesta's the oldest, Elaine is the middle, and is the youngest. But I always think of Feyre as the oldest because I'm in Feyre's head all the time. And Feyre thinks of herself as the provider and the authority. And especially in this book, because Feyre seems to have her shit together the most, she's 
already been made. She's come to terms with herself as Faye. She's in a loving relationship. She's a high lady. She has a lot more agency than her two sisters. And because of that, because she's also providing literal clothing and places to sleep and food to her sisters, she's really leaning hard into that old role. But that role's no longer applicable to her relationship with her sisters because they don't need her to hunt for them anymore, right? They're not poor anymore. Right. So how does that evolve? Like, and I really want to talk about how their powers kind of add to their role in the story because, you know, Feyre has like all the powers, of course, like, you know, she's special. (laughs) But Elaine and Nesta still have their own like thing, right? They're still like, they have their X-Men powers. And Elaine is, is the soothsayer, which is essentially the person who tells the truth all the time, right? Even if it's mm-hmm. the future. And Nesta is what? The person who's lying all the time? It seems like her power... They, they, they say that her power is death, but it doesn't really come into effect in that way. And I just want to know well, what you guys think. You know, with Nesta, she... You know, well, and Farrah is still... Like, she still has to kick their ass, right? Mm-hmm. To, like, get them to acknowledge. Like, they don't want to deal with it. Right. And they Farrah's need to accelerate. Kind of, yeah. Right. And, you know, Nesta, I think, is able to finally, like... She sees Farrah doing all this stuff, and she can't ignore it. And so she's finally, like, they won't call me a coward. Like, I love that scene because it's still so Nesta. It's not I, like, care or... I want to share my feelings. It's I don't want people to call me a coward, right? Mm-hmm. And right. this whole idea that she stole something from the cauldron to <laughs> me is so powerful <laughs> because she like goes into the, the cauldron unwillingly, right? She doesn't want any of this. And she's essentially like, well, fuck you. I mean, it's the same attitude she's had through everything else, you know, like with the with the right. father, you know, she's got that fuck you mentality, you know, okay, this is being done to me and I may not be able to have agency in this moment beyond saying fuck you, but I'm going to say it and I'm going to take something back with me that's mine um and i really love how that plays sort of into the final battle scene as well because i think with nesta like there's still so much more we could see from her in future stories right oh yeah um because it's the sense that she hasn't unleashed herself like she hasn't allowed herself to let it go and Mm -hmm. then i totally started thinking about frozen and let it go and the whole situation (laughs) but whatever but really it's the truth it's like she's holding on to this thing she is now sort of death incarnate, but, like, no one really knows what that means, but they're terrified of it because they, they know Nesta, and they know just enough about Nesta to know what she's going to do with that when she finally lets it go. Let it go. Let it go. Okay. So, like, I really love that, you know, um, that, like, even sort of all the badasses are, like, what's going to happen with Nesta? Yeah, what's going to happen? <laughs> well, yeah. like, and I think especially with Nesta, and, I, and I've said this before, she is my favorite character, and I feel her, I, like, feel her so hard. Like, because, I think because, and I, I put this in notes, but, you know, her role has always been defined somewhat, or limited somewhat, maybe is a better term. Like, you know, she grew up, the eldest daughter in a rich family she had to enter society she had to marry well they became poor so then like okay well what do i have i don't have any skills but marrying well no one's gonna marry me because i'm poor now what can Mm -hmm. i do and then now she's in this completely new 
this new realm, this new body, her her life is no longer planned. There are no longer any bookends to what her choices could be. And she's lost in that, I think, because she doesn't need Feyre's protection anymore. She doesn't need society telling her what to do. She's limitless. And that scares the shit out of her, I think. Well, and Farrah figures it out. She's like, yeah. she essentially acknowledges the fact that Nesta needs a purpose. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, that's what changes things for Nesta is finally having, you know, like when she's like, well, you can help us fix the wall. Like, I don't think Nesta really cares so much, you know, about the wall, but it's like, okay, this is something I can actually like take control of and do. Well, yeah, because Nesta doesn't necessarily feel loyalty to the people that rejected her when she was poor, right? She doesn't right. necessarily feel loyalty to her own even her i mean like her relationship with her father is complicated but it's 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 fraught with problems she's not loyal to the fae because she's just been made one and it was essentially rape to do so Mm -hmm. and like yeah she needs a purpose but her purpose can't be it has to be personal for her that's that's what makes her tick uh, and I think that's also why Mass had to delay any relationship with Cassian, because Nessa has to be someone first. She can't yeah. define herself in her relationship with someone like Cassian. And also, Cassian stepping in and being like, hey, I'm the guy, that's also shitty. Like, it doesn't, it implies that she has no choice, that there's no agency, that she doesn't pick him. Uh, so I understand why all of that stuff happens, but. Yeah, I love that Nesta is so fraught. Like, she's almost, her growth is going to be more exciting to me maybe than Pharaoh's ever was. Well, and then can we talk uh, for a minute about uh, Elaine's uh, fiancé and that <sighs> situation? Yeah. Um, because one of the things that stood out of, to me about that whole situation, too, is how much, um, and I can't remember his name, Grayson, Grayson, and his father hate Nesta like, we don't know why. <laughs> like, yeah. we, we didn't see how any of this evolved. We don't know how Elaine got engaged. We know that she met him at a party and, like, fell madly in love with him. But apparently, that family does not like Nesta. And Nesta does not like <laughs> Who them. does? Who does like Nesta? Who's, who's a Nesta, like... But yeah, I'm like, like oh, we what did they her. do? Like, is it just, <laughs> did Nesta just see the whole anti-Faye thing being really stupid? Like, what was it that, you know, because she wants Elaine's happiness, right? And like, this is going to make Elaine happy. And like, well, we know that if- Nesta was almost married a guy who would have beat her, right? Like, right. Out of desperation. So I think that she wants, I think she wants better for Elaine. She can't help anything that happened to Feyre. That's her failure. But she can help what happened to Elaine. And I think she wants better for Elaine than what she got. Which is, you know, the the confined role of mistress or, you know, society's expectations and all that stuff. But still, I want to know, what was the thing? (laughs) Because... Through all of it, like, you know, when they go back to... Well, she's not charming. Stuff. There's nothing well, charming about this. <laughs> it's true. This is true. She's but they're just like, like, this tea isn't good. <laughs> they're just like, Nesta, don't don't speak, right? Like, you're just gonna, like, they hate you. Like, just don't speak, you know? <laughs> but also, like, so there's this whole... Let's talk about Elaine, because I texted Elena this, actually, 
I fucking hate Elaine. And like, she's such a victim. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Everything about her is because she's a goddamn racist. Like all of her problems, like I can't accept that I'm Faye. I miss the, I miss Grayson. He won't marry anymore. It's like, is it because you're a fucking racist? Is that why? Because you're racist? <laughs> well, she's also, I mean, I think we use this term in the very first one. She's so vapid. Um, she's a, a milksop. Well, okay, fine. She's a racist. She's totally a racist. And let's face it, this whole book has a lot of uh, overtones with modern politics that we could mm-hmm. get into. Um, so yeah, totally a racist, but she's, yeah, there's again, a wall in it. Come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no, you know, there's no analogy there. No, I don't know what Moss was doing with that one. No idea. Um, but it isn't until the very end that Elaine finally kind of like does something useful, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, that's why I'm like, you stay the fuck away from Azrael because you're not good enough for him. And I don't want any of this bullshit. Like, go to Lucian. Fuck with him. He's a piece of crap. But <laughs> but Azrael? No. He does but, not need to get into that shit, okay? He's already, like, been in it for 500 years with more. He needs a healthy relationship with a non-racist. A person who doesn't <laughs> hate themselves because they're no longer whatever, you know, color or ear shape they decided was acceptable. You know, but the whole thing with Azrael is kind of interesting because we know Elaine is not Azrael's mate. Elaine is Lucian. No. You know, actually, it kind of works out. Lucian's kind of useless. Elaine's kind of useless. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe this is why. Like at that one point, Farah's like, "So why, why? You know, these people who chooses?" Well, she's like, like, "I want him to be." She, but but uh, but Farah's fucking shipping her with Azriel because she oh totally doesn't... totally. And I'm like, but at the same same time, I just want to be like, it's because they're both fucking useless. That's why. <laughs> well, like, I mean, there is that. There's that whole thing that that Rhysand tells her about, like, you know, my mate has to be my equal. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, I think, the logic of it. Like, your mate is your equal. <laughs> well. Well, and I think Asriel's also, like, like maybe Elaine is his rebound or, or he, he feels protective of people. He Like, there's a lot going on with Asriel and he's the only character that we don't get a point of view from in either this book or... Well, actually, no, we don't get one from Elaine either, but... Right? No, we do we get an Elaine in the in the no. novel? In the no, novella? We do. That's because Mass didn't want to touch that. She doesn't know what to do yet. <laughs> but I think like Azriel wants to fix people or protect people or you know, like he we know that he grew up like confined in a cell and couldn't fly until he was older and he was tortured. So he's definitely mm-hmm. has his issues. Well, and... wasn't wasn't there some overtone of like Elaine reminding him of his mother in some way or another? Uh, and so maybe maybe there's also that it. weird thing where it's like, I I love you because you remind me of my mother you have her same gentleness or you know whatever Honestly, that when i read was. those sections where they're like eyeing each other i'm always like rip the pages out and burn them <laughs> like, like, I just well, like, I, I also wondered. Like, no. I also wondered if Azrael was poking at Lucian, right? Like that scene mm-hmm. where there, she, oh. um, where Elaine and Azrael are sitting in the garden, and she, like, it's this beautiful domestic scene, right? And like, it's it's the scene that like the lovers are supposed to have, uh-huh. um, you know. But I just felt like Azrael was kind of sticking it to Lucian, right? Yeah, like, I mean, there's bit. all this other stuff going on too, but at the same time, they're also still messing with Lucian. 
again and like mm-hmm. this is what you could have but you don't <laughs> well, also, I mean, that like, sense because he would definitely have something against that whole family considering his history was more like he'd be oh, like you know fuck you you're not good enough i'm just right. gonna block you i'm gonna cock block you just because well, well, there's also the uh, the whole thing with um with Elaine, like I I know uh, all the all the Fae are like I, I, I don't know like it's it's a, this weird thing with all the males and Feyre too. It's like, well, your engagement's broken, get over it. And it's like she sincerely loved him, and yeah, like it takes a while but she was when you racist. really. <laughs> okay, I'm not denying that, but I'm also <laughs> saying that I I believe she sincerely loved her well suited to her racist ass uh fiance <laughs> and you know because of like she lost someone that she loved she lost a, a relationship that she expected to have she lost a future that she expected to have right. and it was it wasn't because of she her own choices it was done to her like it, that was taken from her like she deserves well, it was to taken get to, for to her it was taken from her twice too when you think about it right mm-hmm. because yes. they lose it all as you know much younger women this life that they're supposed to have and then mm-hmm. it gets ta- like they get it back essentially right and mm-hmm. then it gets taken away from them again yeah and and she deserves to get to mourn that and like okay what's what's the formula like one week for every month of the relationship like maybe they were engaged for like a year that's you know at least a couple months yeah. of mourning um uh, I don't know. Like they all seem, they all seem really impatient with that process with her, and you know, in a little bit, well, like Farrah, in the novella, Vera is very yeah. Like her, especially in the novella, her like imposition of her will on her sisters is not acceptable. Like Vera yeah. had all this room to figure shit out on her own mm-hmm. and to make mistakes and to and to like ignore her emotions and to like do all of that shit. But she's very mm-hmm. much like smugly sitting there as high lady with her like perfect husband and being like, mm-hmm. "Well, I know everything," and <laughs> and it's just kind of like, "Well, go fuck yourself, Vera," because other people have their own journeys and you don't get to tell people where to sleep and what books they can read and where they can live and like (laughs) fuck you you know but she took charge as the dominant sibling right whether it was her role or not she's the one that's taking care of them but they don't need her anymore yeah but that doesn't mean she can't figure that out too right like she's got to figure out that she can't take care of them anymore like go build your house go paint your shit like leave your sisters alone just leave them alone (laughs) like i I guess i guess my my issue with favorite is she can't figure out the 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 middle ground of like not abandoning them but not trying to do it for them because yeah, it's like I'm either puppeting you or I don't care care if you live or die. Like, yeah, like I'm, I'm not going to come visit with you. I'm not going to like come like hang out with you. Um, I'm, I might strong arm like, you. Just go drinking to, with like... Nesta once. Just exactly. go out with her. Like, like, why don't you just go spend time with her? Like, you know what? Read some fucking Winnie the Pooh. How they all deal with Eeyore. You know, like it's <laughs> not the meme that Eeyore is basically like chronically like depressed, but everyone mm-hmm. just like invites him anyway and like lets him hang mm-hmm. out and be depressed and doesn't like pressure him or put expectations on him or ask him to be anything but himself like i don't know like I, like i've definitely been down in the dumps and it's the sort of thing like no nobody can fix that for me but if everyone that like i loved or gave a shit about like had kind of just walked away from me and left me in that without even checking on me like fuck but you that's totally when you what come they back. did to her because because they i totally... you know 
Elaine and Nesta totally did that to her back when they're poor and like starving in the cottage. <laughs> like it goes back to like the whole sort I of get revenge that. thing but, almost. Like be better than that. Like you fixed your shit, Ferris, so be better. They're be not. the better person. Like they're still by a dysfunctional example. family. They're still such a dysfunctional family. Yeah. yeah. So so dysfunctional. So well, I want to table you, I want to table the Nesta and Elaine stuff for the for when wait, we talk wait, about Wait, wait, just real wait. one last little bit about that. Yeah. The the one scene, the one there was that one really satisfying moment where I think it was Nesta was like, "Well, I thought you could read." And Farah's like, yeah, about that. And Nesta's like, why didn't you ask us? And Farah's kind of like, uh, like, would you have done anything? (laughs) Well, I think that's like, it's almost as if Mass was like, she heard the fans being like, they didn't know she could, she couldn't fucking read. And she's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to put a sentence in there where it's like, no, they didn't know. They didn't know. But I did love that moment. It was that, it was a nice little like, wait, bit. Bite. That was a good moment. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's skip ahead a little because we spent some time on the sisters, which is great. Uh, but I want to talk about the war and monsters and monsters. leveling up monsters and leveling up and and you know secret missions and and everyone having their moments. Uh, what? Well, one was your favorite monster. Okay, so my favorite monster now, I love that I'm just butting in on this one, um, yes. outside of the cereal, because of course I still love the cereal, and we'll get to the cereal, but um, but the library monster, yes. um, <laughs> as the librarian in the group, <laughs> I just want a monster in my library that just wants someone to talk to in a window, like I would totally <laughs> talk to that monster every night as I was closing down my office, I would like stop by and be like, yo, dude of nightmares, like let's talk about our days, like here's my office drama, you know. <laughs> well, you might get lucky because apparently Feyre and Reese can't be bothered to track that motherfucker down, no. uh, I know. so maybe it'll come haunt your library. <laughs> I would love for Briaxis to come show up at my library if he's out there listening to this podcast. He can totally come hang out in my basement with me. I don't have a window either, Briaxis, and I totally understand. I will share my webcam with you. It'll be great. And yes, folks, I do work for an Ivy League library, so there you go. Which is why you know there's definitely no windows. Exactly. (laughs) And a basement. And a basement, a scary basement. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the, the scenes in the library. Okay, and also sort of a side note, I think this is in your notes somewhere, Rachel, but um, the priestesses of the library yes. um, who have been like traumatized and raped and had horrible things done to them, and this is like their sanctuary. Um, I think it's really interesting that the one we meet is named Clotho. Um, and I don't know if you two picked up on this, but Clotho is one of the Greek fates, that one of the three fates. Mm. And um, I can't remember which one she is, uh, which task she holds. Um, but I thought it was really interesting because there were a couple characters like this. Um, well, she's definitely, like, Mass loves to look at Greek mythology for her naming conventions. She talked about that at her meeting, or at the, the reading that I went to. Um, apparently, Clotho is the one who spins fate. 
Um, so she's the one spinning the thread. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, decision on Moss's part to name mm-hmm. this particular character after this particular mythological figure um, that she's spinning fate or uh, at least giving them the knowledge they need to spin their own fate, maybe. Um, uh-huh. But um, I really liked the the library in general and that sense of like having to spiral downward um, and then, you know, running into the dark and running to this monster that scares, the, you know, the fuck out of everybody, right? Like, was it Cassian? Who Cassian they, yeah. was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, don't, I actually don't do it. <laughs> I actually love that she does explain what the monster is. Um, and that it's basically like a boggart or a dementor or something where it's like the face of like your worst nightmare, like whatever mm-hmm. your personal worst nightmare is, that's what that's the face it's going to wear because that's about the only thing that you can think of actually would you know scare cassian is like whatever his worst nightmare is like that's what that was and well and i like that they just have this monster like hanging out in the basement of their library and they're just like it's cool (laughs) it's not hurting anyone we're good Um, we'll just leave it alone Yeah, so, so yeah, so there's the library monster, and we get the, the bone carver again, and the weaver, and reunion, family reunion time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that they're related, and, yeah. um, and of course, we also get the mention of the brother, right, who we haven't met yet, um, but I think it's interesting, so I wasn't sure um, who the, the bone carver was supposed to be, but the weaver is definitely like Baba Yaga, right? She's in this creepy hut in the woods and she eats people, Mm -hmm. but sometimes she helps you depending, right? She could be cool. And then you have the brother who of course has captured the firebird princess. Oh, that's not a metaphor or obvious <laughs> or anything at all. And that's the Koshai, uh, which yeah. I always, pro- I, I always say that wrong. So to anyone who's a fan of Russian folklore, I apologize, but the, the Koshai, Koshai. Um, I've always said it catchy because I've never heard catchy. it said. It's, I've just seen it in books though. So. Mm. Right. So it might be that, but um, he's also a, a, a fairy tale figure out of Russian folklore. So you have, the weaver, who's Baba Yaga, who's also Russian folklore, um, and then you have the bone carver, and I haven't placed him yet, um, but I like all three of them, and I like that they're related. Um, yeah, and they're, and they're called like, the, take the that, old gods, take like that, the old Feyre, death gods. You think that you have problems? <laughs> <laughs> well, and when the bone carver is also freaked out by the weaver, he's like, "Yeah, I don't need to fuck with that. Like, I'll just stay down here in my cave. Like, we're good." <laughs> We're we're happy. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't I don't need to be out there. Like I'm safe in the prison for really scary fine. monsters. It's fine. Well, I I definitely felt like um, in this book the Weaver was my favorite of the monsters, um, and only because of the uh, oh the way she kills people is just yeah. like oh, I love it. It looks it, my the camera in my head just like the battle scenes. Oh, like the Weaver gets so much good lighting. <laughs> except that like her death at the end was so mm-hmm. dissatisfying for me like it was almost too easy right mm-hmm. like she's literally carved like how many like masses of men out of this army right she's i mean i feel like swat. she's trying to give us like a helm's deep times a thousand situation where it's just like there's so many of the enemy Right? right. It's not, it's like, it's like literally like you're not seeing humans, like you're not seeing individuals anymore. You're just seeing masses just like moving. Mm-hmm. 
So like, I mean, it's sad, but I kind of knew that she was going to kill off some of these, some of these monsters. No, no, because like, she couldn't kill her main characters because they're invincible. So yeah, but so like, she had to you find know, something. the Bone Carver's death is sort of perfect in a lot of ways, right? Because he well, doesn't. He, we kind of knew because he's been wanting that, right? Like, well, then, and, and also, what? How how was it deployed? Was that like the cauldron's power? Yeah, it was or the something? cauldron. The yeah, cauldron so, who mm-hmm. wipes him out. So it's like you've got this bigger thing that kills mm-hmm. him, and you're like, okay, that makes sense for how he's gonna die. Yeah, but so it's just the... such an anticlimax when like the hybrid king just like snaps her neck, and oh, I'm gonna throw your body to my dogs, and like that's how you kill an old god, like right. Really? Like for me, for me, that moment was just like there there had to, like I wanted her to also be loose on the world, right? Because that was the mm-hmm. bargain, right? The bargain right. she makes with Rizand is that she's not going to be confined to her cottage anymore. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's not good. good. <laughs> well, it's not good, but it is good, right? Like, more stories. That's a lot of human fat. <laughs> right? Um, so I just felt like that was, like Moss took the easy way out on that one. And I was really unhappy because I also really liked the Weaver. The Weaver's so mm-hmm. excellent. And uh, the scene. Well, so where... I understand. You want the spinoff to be the Weaver, the Bone Carver, the Surreal. Like, that's. Those are the books you want. You're like, screw all these phase. Like, we don't give a shit. I like the monsters. What can I say? I've said through all of this that the monsters are the best part of these books. And I stand by that. 100%. Well, I just, I just love the we- the Weaver for what she did to Ianthe. Like that oh, yeah. was Perfect. like, that was probably that was just it was the best. It was I, I literally I screamed yes about five times out loud reading that scene. That was so great. Um, that I think was actually my favorite scene in this book because um, I'd also at that point had almost forgotten about Ianthe. Um, mm-hmm. And I just didn't yeah. expect her to show up at that moment in time. Like, that whole scene. So that's, that's okay, sorry, everyone. Spoilers here. But that's also where the serial dies, right? Right. Um, and I just didn't expect any of that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had kind of forgotten about Ianthe because I just wasn't expecting it at that moment. I expected Ianthe to die in the final battle, right? Like, she's one of those mm-hmm. characters that's going to get it at the end, you know, after she's caused all of this destruction, um, and then she shows up randomly in the woods and kills the surreal, essentially. Um, and then Farah has to make a choice about what to do. And Farah runs right to the weaver and is like, here you go, weaver. Here's dinner. I brought you lunch. <laughs> I brought you lunch. <laughs> Please don't kill me. And the weaver's kind of like, okay, I'll get to you later. <laughs> You know, you'll come back. I know what you smell like now, but I'll go ahead and eat these other people. That's cool. Um, but it's so satisfying, especially after the last time Pharaoh was in that cottage and what happened. Um, and I do like there was a moment where she gets really pissed off at Rizand. I think it's when she sees the weaver on the battlefield mm-hmm. wearing Ianthe's jewel. And she's like, oh, my God, Rizand actually sent me into that cottage. Like, God damn it. <laughs> what was he doing? <laughs> and like actually gets pissed off about it seeing the weaver with Ianthe's jewel on her forehead you know which I totally would have too I would have been like right just killing everything you put me in a cottage with that bullshit like what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> so yeah so but that was such a great like cause you're like where's Farrah going what's gonna happen and then she gets to the cottage and you're like oh fuck like Ianthe's about to get it <laughs> like perfect yes perfect um 
So the other monster in the room is Tamlin himself. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, you, um, you went there. You I went, went there. there. I went there. So let's start at the beginning when he is ass shows up at the High Lord meeting. And <laughs> well, it's such a petulant little like temper tantrum. <laughs> so like no one is on their best behavior at that meeting. Like, let's star no heroes. Yeah. But like they're in the middle of like, hey, we need to like work out some kind of allyship because Hybrin's coming and this is all bigger than us and and like we gotta figure it out. And Tamlin eventually shows up and he like gets his little chair and he's just sitting there being all shitty and then like interrupts everyone to be like the sex noises that Farah makes. Let's talk about them. Yeah, like, way to make yourself sound like a a virgin, Tamlin, because newsflash, every woman has one. They're all different, but but everyone has one. Like, he's clearly trying to provoke Team Night Court, but it's just like, really? Well, and he's obviously trying to do what Farah did to him, and he can't. He can't not, like, he's, he's not he's not smart enough to do what she no. did and so it just no. comes out as petty and stupid yeah. and I you're like what stupid. are you doing tamlin like way to tip but, your hand that you're a petty little asshole to everybody like okay exactly. embarrass you're, you're embarrassing yourself son you're embarrassing yeah. yourself like now everyone thinks you're shitty like that's, well and everyone like, already kind of thinks he's shitty yeah. right because they're he's like you're, you're let high burn in and he's like oh i only did it to save pharah blah 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 you know from her fucking mate like the one sacrosanct thing in their whole world is like the mate bond <laughs> yeah you know, but the one thing I do like about Tamlin in all of this, he's still stupid and I don't like him, um, <laughs> but I do like the fact that, you know, no one gives him any credit for not being totally evil and at the end where he's like, yeah, I was trying to kind of save your asses, like he does redeem himself a little bit. Um, he does kind of come through. At a moment when they need it. Well, yeah. So when he when he helps Farah, uh, like I guess that's supposed to be his like redemption arc, and especially when he helps bring Reese back after Reese dies, like the be happy Farah thing is just kind of like, oh, all right. How much I mean, growth have you really made? It's not great. He really hasn't grown a lot, but you know, no. it's better than nothing. Like he's not just totally well, stupid no and friends. evil, right? And, like, it's kind of almost calculated in a way, like dishonest, because it's like they've just trounced your army. Like your allies are gone. You have no friends. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, you're going to help this person who would otherwise obliterate you. Like, you really think that if Reese died, that Tamlin would live a week? <laughs> <laughs> and I hadn't thought through that any further, but yeah, Pharaoh would. <laughs> <laughs> he knew her well enough, I guess, to know. <laughs> well, and she definitely, like, she has that moment in the beginning of the book where she talks about wanting to strangle him. Um, mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so, like, Farrah's really holding back here, you know? Yeah. She, she's got Rizan's voice in the back of her head, and if he's not there, well, it's not going to go so well, so. Mm. Um, all right, let's talk about. I'm gonna skip us ahead a little bit so we can finish up soon. Um, let's go to best deaths. So we have King of Highburn, Ianthe, Reese, which I thought was a rude addition. Thanks, Elena. 
uh, Amrin. We haven't talked about Amrin's reveal no, at all. No, we haven't. Well, and we should uh, talk and, about her as a monster too. Yes, and uh, so all right, well, let's let's take a pause. Then we could talk about Feyre the monster and Amrin the monster. Yes. Um. So Amrin. So I think you have this in your notes, Rachel. The whole like Seraphim thing. It made me really uncomfortable. <laughs> um. And I thought it was interesting that you know you have these monsters who came from a different world. And I felt uh-huh. like the world they came from was supposed to be our world. <laughs> it was sort of Moss's uh-huh. little jab, you know? Um, and so, and we talked about this in the first book where the human society has no religion, right? They've like totally gotten rid of it. And then right. fairy has religion and they've got the goddess and it's totally like pagan. And the cauldron, you know, yeah. And the cauldron and sort of, you know, uh, yeah, that side of things. So then you have Amran, who I like. When we first met Amran, I thought Amran was just a dragon, like mm-hmm. in a phase body. That's what I expected. So when she actually turns out to essentially be an angel or a mm-hmm. seraphim, I was like, wait a minute. Like that made me twitch a little bit, and I don't know. If well, I she can... talks about her father, right, and all that stuff. So actually, I just want to confirm because you guys don't read the Throne of Glass books. No. No, I couldn't. Is, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. Couldn't. So it is. It. Con- it is confirmed. This is a shared universe. Um, okay. There is an instance in the last thro- spoilers. There's an instance <laughs> in the last Throne of Glass book, and I'm not going to be like crazy about the spoiler. But there's an instance in the last Throne of Glass book where the main character is able to kind of see. See where where those interaction where the where the interactions between the two realms kind of are, and hmm. how that works. So they're not like in the same universe. It's kind of like parallel universes, uh, but it is that's that's a thing. So it is extremely you know uh, possible that yeah that Amran is a seraphim. Yeah. Well, and then you have the whole. Um... Draken and Miriam sort of side story going on here too with mm-hmm. the parting of the sea. Like there was just suddenly this sort of injection of Christian theology that I was like, wait a minute, I don't like yeah. this. Like, yeah, well, and like, it, I, and I don't, I have absolutely no idea what what Sarah Mass's, uh, you know, particular proclivities are. But yeah, I got an ins- I got a little like uh, I said it's Christian metaphors. <laughs> well, it uh, wasn't it was it wasn't metaphoric. Like it was fucking blatant. It <laughs> it, it was just like here, part that we're going to part the Red Sea and we're going to, you know, drown the army behind them and there's like they had the fucking Passover where they put blood over their you know, no, um, yeah, they put the lamb, like, lamb's blood um, the night Amarin's hunting through the city uh-huh. for hybrid yeah. people. That's where yeah. I, that was the first sense of, I was like, oh, she's not just a really awesome dragon that eats everybody. <laughs> like, yeah. why lamb's blood? I see where this is going. <laughs> and that's, no, I'm not yeah. okay with this. I mean, like, I, I, if, in, if the way that I kind of deal with this stuff is I'll be like, oh, because she's, she's definitely borrowed heavily from like Russian folklore from, mm-hmm. and she, she, uses a lot of like greek uh kind of like mythology references and and there's certainly there must certainly be um christian slash pagan you know themes going on with 
uh, Callan Mai and all that stuff, right? So yeah. she she's just kind of expanding her Rolodex of uh, references and mythologies, but, but and mythologies. But yeah, yeah, it seems it seems um, it's always I don't know. It's always weird when people go for the Christian ones versus I don't know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I like I I agree completely. Like I've I've um there are, you know, some of the paranormal romance series that I can't read because they're too like they're making like even though I am not Christian, like it it really bothers me to see um I I guess because there are people in the world that like that still consider that sacred so to sort of see it brought down and like oh let's just like playfully use this as like myth and you know glibness in like a story that would you know on a, on many levels probably be offensive to what those people stand for i don't know like it just i'm uncomfortable with it even though like on the other hand i understand the logic of if it's all myth it's all fair game and why would you like if you're going to include you know references to other fairy tales which like she does copiously why Mm -hmm. why not use those two you know but well i think of the difference for me is also like there's there's like the greek mythology stuff and that's like a dead religion Mm -hmm. and then there's the 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 you know the christian stuff is like but that's that's not only alive and well but like controlling politics and influencing my life on a daily basis and Like, uh, yeah, well, at I least think... at least in this book, guys, the wall does fall. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no wall. We like that. Um, <laughs> uh, so my favorite. I just want to get us back on track. So my my favorite death is obviously the King of Highburn because mm-hmm. Nesta cutting the dude's head off. Well, the fact that Elaine is the one who stabs him, you know, no right, one expects yeah. it. With no one assist. sees it coming and gives the assist. And, like, Nesta finishes it, which you want for Nesta. But, like, Elaine's, and the, yeah. <laughs> Elaine still gets her, her stab in, you know, and it's with, uh, what was it, Azrael's blade? Knife, um, yeah, yeah, the yeah. little truth-sayer blade that they're like, he doesn't give that to anyone ever. <laughs> He's just giving it to Elaine, like, you know, more Azrael-Elaine stuff. But still, mm-hmm. you know, so she 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 gets her literal stab in, right? I mean, like Asriel is a is a seraphim name too. Um, oh, it is. It totally so I guess is. from the beginning, those references have been there. We should be fair, uh, yeah. but yeah, I'm not going to be fair on this one. Yeah, I'm not. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to co-sign the uh, the King of Highburn. Like as much as I cheered at Ianthe and delighted in it, I think I cheered just as loudly when Elaine. Well, stabbed that fucker through the neck i was like just like (gasps) there it is for me particularly kind of a boring villain like he's just there Mm -hmm. he's just like the the boss but i'm not like i didn't feel anything for him the way that i felt for anthe or the way that i feel for tamlin it's just kind of like oh you're annoying can we get rid of you and then we got rid of him it's it's, it's not the personal animosity it's more just like you're just the baddie that like we just have to fucking kill you because there's no choice well, and there's no need to make it, like, an impressive death. Like, it doesn't have to be a cauldron-level death, right? Like, it doesn't have to mm-hmm. be an act of God to kill this guy. You just have to corner him at the right moment and take care of business. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. And it's so satisfying because it's Elaine and Nesta 
who in the middle of the really woods in, in the, the middle, middle of, of nowhere <laughs> in the middle of this huge battle that's like raging right like thousands of troops are dying with monsters and there they are in their little section of the woods and elaine stabs him and nesta cuts his head off like and i think the best part of it all is that nobody notices like no, the battle just goes nobody. on and it's right. like oh shit like the we might have killed the main dude but we still have this huge fucking problem and we're gonna lose because yeah. like we don't have the armies to take care of him and somehow we thought killing him like would be be like also because the cauldron was involved and it wasn't he just died oh <laughs> <sighs> yeah no um i thought his death was really perfect and exactly what it needed to be unlike some other deaths in the book like the weaver so there are there, there, there's two conversational pathways that i think spring from the death of the king of hybern one is the you know cassie and nesta and how cute they are like trying to defend each other and like crawl through blood um and the other is uh, the cauldron and its weird crush on Elaine. So we, we, what do we want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't really talked about the cauldron yet. So let's talk about the cauldron yeah. for a minute. Because I like how you put that, Elena. It, it really does. It's like you have a piece of me and I want it back and I want you. And I'm going to, like, find you and I'm going to search you out. And, like, the cauldron kind of takes on its own personality that I didn't expect. You know, it's not just this inanimate object that mm-hmm. they have to destroy or whatever it's totally uh it, it becomes its own thing right and like it's much more scary in a lot of ways than the king of highburn is right even when they destroy this thing essentially it's gonna like suck reality with it like you can't just oh yeah just... highburn's messing with something he does not understand right like <laughs> Right, which I mean, all all bad guys do, right? And their their plot to take over the world, like this is pretty standard. Like you're fucking with things yeah, that you shouldn't is... be, but you're gonna do it anyway because you're just evil and stupid and whatever. Um, I mean, like the motivations of Highburn are inexplicable to me, but yeah, like <laughs> well, Farrah even like, like brings this up in the book. She's like, "Why? Why are you doing this? Like this is stupid." You know, so um, I think that question. So yeah, is... I mean, I mean, I think other than the fact that it has to be the only way for Rizan to die has to be to save the universe, because <laughs> <laughs> that's just his brand. Uh, yeah, it's like the cauldron. I mean, I don't know what. It feels like the cauldron is a reference to something. Well, the the cauldron, like the ark, the, the cauldron, like the cauldron, and you know, sort of European mythology is the the cradle of life, right? If you get into Irish and Welsh Welsh mythology, um, the the cauldron uh, is is sort of like uh, a, a, an extension of the goddess, and sort of um, you know, you have the cauldron of plenty where it will feed, you know, everyone, right, constantly, or it Mm -hmm. will bring people back to life. Um, If you read, um, yeah, a lot of the Irish and Welsh mythology, like, the the cauldron has a very significant place in all of that. Um, And, I mean, we can talk about modern pagan ritual and the chalice, which is the cauldron, blah, blah, blah. We don't have to go there. But um, (laughs) that's what the cauldron, you know, in this scenario is. It's the cauldron of plenty, it can bring people back to life, literally, or give them immortality. Um, but it can also break the universe because if it's an ultimate 
object of, um, I guess, fertility, then what's the opposite of that, right? It's death mm-hmm. and destruction. So it's, it's not something you want to mess with. <laughs> you know, this is, and I don't do, I don't think we ever get an explanation. Maybe we do. And I'm just forgetting of where the cauldron came from. No, the like closest that- we get is favor of like half remembering that tapestry she saw on yeah. Tamlin's wall about the making of the world. And it was kind of circular how like the, the world is made and unmade with the cauldron in the hands of a woman. And I, I actually thought that was, um, there, there's an interesting implication of like, does the cauldron magic work differently when it's a woman wielding it versus a man? Like, is a man going to only use it for destruction and, you know, like an, an, an ending of things, you know, whereas a woman's going to use it for creation and like the giving of, of life. But then, you know, Resand has a hand in like saving everything. Like he's giving his life to, you know, restore the cauldron so that the world will continue. So, you know. Well, and then you also have Amarin, who essentially, like, throws herself into the cauldron and destroys it. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's a female, but then she's also an angel, right? Mm -hmm. So then you have that, like, Christianity versus pagan thing going on. Yeah, I mean, do angels have gender? Like, I don't, it's I mean, right, like, she presents herself. A thousand eyes and a million feathers, and I don't know. (laughs) Right. Seems weird. Well, and that's the thing, like, I would say, and, you know more standard mythology they they don't have a gender but like in this scenario she is feminine but here's this creature from this other world who's messing about with things of this world right um and then i you know i also thought like as much as i don't want amarin to die and i'm glad that she and varian have their happy sort of moment um, I'm also like, why, wait, like, and I like also that Resand. No one dies. Right, no one dies. <laughs> no one but like, does. she just like, they just like fish her out. And that's it. Like, there's no real, I mean, Resand is like, yeah, I caught her spirit when I was out in death, essentially, and like pulled her back with me. But I wasn't really satisfied with that one. I was just like, wait a minute. That was Mass chickening out. Mm-hmm. She was like, I can't kill them. I'm not going to kill any of them because they gave me a contract for more books and I need them. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I, I say that cynically, but also kind of like, there, you know, there are re- there are repercussions to, to being like, okay, we're going to buy a trilogy and then mm-hmm. we're going to buy another trilogy and we're going to buy another trilogy. And like, I'm fine with it because I love these characters. Mm-hmm. Maybe she, yeah, maybe know. she just saved her so that someone will love Nesta besides Cassian. <laughs> I do like that um, that she and Nesta sort of bond on that. Like <laughs> we're a little bit weird and might kill and everybody. Nobody's really sure if they like us. <laughs> exactly. And again, well, like, we might kill everybody, but it's cool. So, like you know, Roseanne dies. We kill the we kill Highburn. We you know, like everyone has their Super Saiyan moment, and there there is a lot of ratcheting up. Like every chapter, which seemed endless, it mm-hmm. seemed like there were thirty chapters of battle, and every chapter was more more and more was at stake, and everyone was more and more powerful. Which is a whole it's a whole that's a mass thing that happens in the Throne of Glass novels as well. But like that happens everyone dies and then is brought back to life blah 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 but like let's let's talk about um kind of like the ending and how that how that works and then this kind of transition into more stories via via this novella um what 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 are like what's left what is left to do um well they have to go find briaxis 
that has to happen. Right. Um, you have the Firebird Princess. They have to go break her curse. Um, mm-hmm. And so I assume that... And it seems like Lucian has more, more to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Lucian finally has to go do something. Yes, he finally uh, gets to go do something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, I feel like, is going to be its own trilogy. Because um, they still have to deal with the queens, right? She's one of the queens. Mm-hmm. We haven't really talked about the queens in this book. I mean, they're not really present, but they are, right? I mean, they're, ba- um, they're basically, like, uh, just staying out of all of it and letting the Fae fight the battle and see what happens. Right. But yeah, they sucks for them. Well, <laughs> but they still have their army. Pharaoh's not going to be nice to them when it comes to the New World Order. No, probably not. But they do still have their armies. Like, they're sort of the, the baddie looming on the horizon, right? You know, mm-hmm, if this was mm-hmm. a, a season of Buffy, like, you know... They're going to be the villain right. down the road, right? Actually, there's something very late 90s, like, kind of Buffy-era yeah. storylines about the way that all of this is structured, for sure. Definitely. So we've got the Queens. We've got Vasa, uh, the Firebird. Um, we've mm-hmm. got Briaxis. I feel like Briaxis is just going to be a novella, a novella that I really want to read. Like, I, instead of having the novella we got... That's the novella I wanted. Like, that would have been the Happy Christmas novella. Like, let's go get the monster. Well, let's talk about the novella then. Because, like, I personally fucking love the disaster that is Nesta. But I know that you don't like this book. So, like, I, it's tell not, me why. It's not, that I, it's not that I didn't like the novella. I just wanted more from it. I wanted right. more. Like, I felt like what this novella was, it was sort of a transition story, right? Like, it's kind of clean up from the battle that we don't really get in this book, because this book, let's face it, is really freaking long. Um, Mm -hmm. I reread this book today. I started reading at eight this morning, and I finished at, like, six, I think. And that's I'm, not possible. Like, that's still really fast. I'm <laughs> like, really I'm, fast. I need three days. I need at least three days. I'm really fast. Book. I'm really fast. But for me, that took for freaking ever. <laughs> like, I should have been able to finish this book in, like, three hours. So the fact that it took me a <laughs> solid day of reading, like, this is a really massive book. So, you know, I feel like the novella, she needed sort of a transition book. Um, she needed to kind of close out some things. But I feel like this, this book just opened, or this novella just opened more problems you know well it made Farah very unlikable like yeah the novella the novella plus a reread of the third book and it's just like Farah, like you are very self-important you need a smack well and instead <laughs> of sort of putting Farah and Rizan to bed which is kind of what I yeah. felt like. You know, we've had the trilogy. Yes, of course, because they're going to have babies now, so their story's over. I've read romance novels. Exactly. <laughs> like, so I kind of feel like Rizand and Farah have had their story arc now, and now it's time to transition to the next, like, story mm-hmm. arc, right? And so, yeah, I totally didn't like Farah in the novella, and I was like, why are we... Why are we... She sucked. Why? And then there was just... There was just moments of, like, this is really pointless. Why are we reading this? Like, I don't... 
care about her art school. I'm sorry. I'm I sorry, mean, like, it's a novella, so like I feel like it of it more as like kind of just like a, a side thing where it's just like, oh, we're gonna do vignettes with all of our favorite characters, but nothing real is gonna happen. Yeah, it, like that's it, it definitely felt like this is getting included in a Christmas anthology that's meant to like yeah. introduce everybody to the worlds and like cross pollinate readers. And um, I mean like you guys, I didn't understand how important Christmas anthologies were to romance novels. Oh, Oh, they are so important. <laughs> but it's yeah, like that's so important. That's a thing. How do, how do I, it is a thing. And how do I know this? Because I've recently gotten into Regency romance. Oh, yeah. And I did it over, <laughs> and I did it over Christmas. And let me tell you, Amazon is nothing now but Regency Christmas anthologies. It's like, do you want to buy this? I'm like, I don't know. This is one of a hundred that you're trying to get me to buy right now. The Lord at Christmas or whatever. Like... <laughs> It's also sort of strange that there are that she kind of tried to force this weird Christmassy solstice yeah. holiday on everyone. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, so I, the one thing but, I did like about the novella is that everyone is still really fucked up, right? Like they're not oh, just yeah. bouncing back from all of this stuff. Um, and, you know, something, again, I've liked about all of these books is the idea that Moss allows her characters to have trauma and to not just get yeah. over things. So, like, even if with Except, Elaine, it annoys me, like, there's still moments where oh I'm like... God, Elaine. Yeah, right? But, like, still, I like the I fact <laughs> that this is something that Moss, like, stops and allows her characters to have. And that's what... Like, I feel like I could be friends with every character but Elaine. I feel like I can, like, imagine myself hanging out with all of them. <laughs> and having issues, but, like, hanging out. Except for fucking Elaine. I would just leave the room. Uh, I'd be done. I'd, I'd eat her bread and sit in her garden. <laughs> like, I don't want to talk to her, but I'd eat her bread. Whatever. I don't I even like want to... I don't even... I don't even want to look at her. I don't. I don't even want to look at her. I don't know. My uh, my, my take on the on the novella, like, I, I mean, I on the one hand, I do appreciate that, like, Mass acknowledges the impact of traumatic events and how... Like, you don't just, like, brush them off and go on about your life, that you actually do have to process them and deal with them. But I felt like this novella was, like, a reminder of how terrible all of them are at the actual processing. Like, they all, like, acknowledge that they experience trauma, and then it just sort of, like, stops there. I mean, Moore has shit she hasn't dealt with for 500 fucking oh, we years. We haven't talked about Moore at oh, all. Oh, we haven't like, talked about yeah. Moore at all. Yeah, because she has about no role yeah. in the book. She's just, like... So, like, actually, can we pause there? Yeah. Because I feel like there was a lot of fandom... So, in my very scientific perusal of Instagram memes, <laughs> I have figured out that there was a bit of a fandom backlash against the way that Mass handled Moore. Mm -hmm. Because... There weren't any gay characters. Uh, the one High it, Lord is gay. Um, okay, yes, but he but he was also like not a main, right? True. And so it seemed like she made more gay as a like a retroactive move, but without really making her gay because we don't actually get to see her really have a relationship with anyone. Well, and the um, whole like explanation of I don't want to tell Azrael I'm gay, like I love him. Azrael fucking knows. Right, like for, <laughs> it's been five hundred years. Right. Like that like to me, I didn't like that at all. Especially, you know, yeah. with the court that it has been created the the night court essentially and the relationships they have and the like the love and the trust in each other like why wouldn't that have been a thing uh you know especially considering the situation of what's happened and 
um, what was done to Moore, um, and then here she's, like, doing sort of this horrible thing to this person who loves her, and she can't just be like, hey. Horrible. Right. Poor it's Azrael. awful. You know, and I, I do like the fact that, you know, and of course Farah has her own stuff happening, but Farah like, calls her on it, you know, and is like, you're mm-hmm. not talking to us, right? Um, but I, I really disliked that. I like I disliked how it came out. I did dislike how Moss treated her. Um, why, you know, and there was that moment where Farrah's like, oh, I'm going to really enjoy playing your matchmaker, but, like, why didn't we get that? Like, she doesn't need him. She doesn't need a matchmaker. Right. Like, Farrah needs to stay the fuck out of it. It's like she hasn't learned anything. Well, y'all, y'all mean, don't think that, that that's going to be one of the future arcs, is that that, that that's Moore's story, is that she has to basically... I mean, knowing... Actually come into herself and be, and, and stop... Because, um, I mean, basically, like, she's still, she's still acting based on whether her father, on on how her father would react to her behavior. Like, she's still trapped in the old paradigm because, Mm -hmm. like, she's still like, oh, I can't take this position Reese is offering me to go be his emissary to other lands because my father would think I'm running away. Like fuck what he well, thinks. Think do, that, you like, wanna, do you want to? Do you want to go? I think that more and that's why I think more and Nesta would make very good friends. <laughs> friends, Rachel, in quotation marks. or whatever. <laughs> but like, but knowing knowing what I've seen through several Throne of Glass books, I'm I'd be very shocked if Mass really really tackled a lesbian relationship. It doesn't seem to be a thing she does. Well, and, and the whole uh, thing with. Um, sort of more like I'm still gonna fuck men like I still like fucking men but I emotionally attach more to women I just Moss really handled this very clunkily um yeah you know well it's because she was like I have to I have to make everything she's done in the past not be a total lie well and I so and I guess that's part of it too is like did Moss just decide that Moore was a lesbian in this book and then had to line up yes no she did she 100% did okay so that's just lazy character building essentially it's i mean like i think more i think for i think it was more of she realized that there was a lack and so she looked at her people and she said well you know the only person that i have is more i'm gonna make more lesbian and like you know there should be more representation in stories but yeah i think i think it would have been nicer but again very long book <laughs> such a long book uh did you guys have the preview of the nesta cassian book in your novella um it i sh- i saw that it was there i did not um look at it no Damn i it. i did see i listened to the novella as an audiobook i didn't get it as a print or a kindle book so okay. i missed out on that well then, I will shut my mouth. <laughs> okay. well, one, one of the things I actually wanted to uh, to to talk about um, was simply if, if anyone has like predictions. Was did anything give anybody tingles? Like, oh, I wonder if that character is important, or if this is going that direction. I mean, we kind of already touched on. I think so, Lucian and the Vasa is is a story that's yep. going to happen. Um, I think I, more. I think she's setting up. Gets a yeah. story. Go ahead. Um, yeah. Like well, I think she takes I- the emissary job and gets to meet someone. We'll see. But um, I also think that Miriam and Draken could get like a prequel almost. That would be it could be a novella, but it could also be its own thing. Or mm-hmm. even like because obviously there's a big story there. 
Mm-hmm. And we don't really with Jurian and everything. Yeah. Well, oh, we haven't talked about Jurian. Let's talk about Jurian for a minute because Jurian did not go the way I expected him to go. Um, he didn't, but he also went the kind of way that I expect all mediocre men to go. <laughs> like, it's just kind of like, oh, you're not that big of an asshole, but I still don't care. I still don't like you. Yeah, well, he still wasn't likable at all, but then he wasn't totally the evil, like, bad guy thing either. I mean, let's face it. He was an eye on a ring on someone's finger <laughs> for, like, how many years Long time. Yeah. So he's got his trauma. I mean, we can give him that at least. Like, Yeah, no, I understand his actions. Don't want to hang out with him. (laughs) I think that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I would go to Hellions. I'd hang out with him. Yeah, I I would hang out with him. He seemed like a fun guy. Although, there's another one we haven't talked about. Um, The High Lady, well, not the High Lady, the wife of the High Lord of Autumn and her dalliance with... Hellion. Yeah. yeah and that, it, isn't it implied as like that they're mates and. Right. Totally. Yeah. So like that could be a story. So let's, let's talk about the mate thing because it, when this, when this whole concept was introduced, it was supposed to be rare, but cherished and blah, 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 blah. And now it seems like, no, nah, they're just, everyone's a mate with someone and like. Welcome to romance novels, Rachel. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, cause there are definitely like series of books that have that as like a big component and it's it's rare if you look at like the whole society and you know there might be 20,000 individuals in a you know clan and you get a romance in the novel 10 for characters 10 of them. we care about you know yeah everyone's got a mate but yeah. they all have a mate yeah. <laughs> yeah well okay so like Cassian and Nesta I think are being set up for mates because there's one paragraph and I sent it to Elena in a text a while back but it was like he said he could sense her feelings mm-hmm. and in a way that was more that was less of mood but like more of like legitimate sensing yeah. of what of how she was feeling and i was like that's a mate thing that's a mate bond thing well i don't i don't know why she's bothering to hide it like to me it's it's like so self-evident that they are it's like why is it going to be some fucking big reveal like in a future book like just i think she would have done better as an author to like own it and then just like but well it could be like remember that. how she ex- Remember how she explained that, like, when when she was, like, Rosand knew that they were mates when she was human, but it didn't really click in until she became a fae, mm-hmm. and then it was kind of like, maybe, like, that's what's going on, where, like, like Nesta went, because like, he's always been interested in Nesta, even when she was human, mm-hmm. but then she went through the cauldron, and, like, things got a little bit more intense. Yeah. Like, well, but I think, same thing's I, happening. I think Nesta is still working through so, obviously, in that novella, like, I was really pissed off at Nessa, Nesta, because... Of the whole sort of alcoholic, uh, like, she kind of reverts, right? You know, she, like, has had gained so much ground in this third book. And then, like, it all, it doesn't all go away, but it does kind of all go away. Like, well, I think, you know, like, the war happened and then she wasn't able to deal, like, like, everyone kind of had their happy ending. Like, Favor went and built a house and, you know, she's having babies and everyone's just, like... (laughs) And she's very self-important about it. And, like, everyone's got their, like, new roles. And Nesta doesn't have a role in the new world. And she needs a role. Yeah. Yeah, so I think Nesta still has to, like, sort some shit out before she could think about having that sort of relationship. Oh, yeah. And I'm not not saying that they should have started a relationship. I'm just saying, like, I don't understand why Mass is, like, trying to hide that or make that some big reveal because it's fucking obvious. Because then it undermines... Stupid ass Elaine and Lucian, and who cares about them? No one. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, and we haven't gotten, obviously, Lucian has to go out and actually do something before, mm-hmm. you know, any of that can happen. And I wonder how Elaine's going to fit into that. Like, are they going to haul her off on this grand adventure to break the curse on the Firebird? Like, she's useless, too. Like, no. is she going to... She's totally useless. Is she yeah, going like, to, like, throw the bones she- for him? You know, like, what's she going to do? <laughs> Bake bread on the ship on the way back home? She just wants to sit in her fucking garden. How are cereals created? Can Elaine replace the cereal? No, she's not cool enough to replace the cereal. The cereal is its own thing. Um, Well, does anybody think that Tamlin's getting a second chance? Because I feel like he, um, by the end of... Not interested. (laughs) I mean, I, I feel like he's become, like, the complete... Like, he's completed the transformation into the actual, like beast from beauty and the beast like the first one it's like oh yeah. no that's a tamlin story like the you know, yeah now he's he's beast. under an enchantment that she had to break but like it was that version of it and so now he's become like i i'm i live alone in this like fucking wrecked house no and servants deserted no me. estate yeah. you know <laughs> alone bitter <laughs> i'm interested in tamlin not because i care about tamlin i'm with you rachel like i'm over tamlin and i have been for a very long time but i'm interested in a tamlin story because i want to see what moss can do as a writer to convince me to care again mm-hmm. you know and i told you i read the second book with like trying to convince myself to emote with tamlin the whole time and i was just like no fuck him i don't care well, he can't like in these books like even if he somewhat kind of almost redeems himself a little bit like you can't Right? Like, yeah. you're still like, I'm over you, no, Tamlin. You're an asshole. You, you fucked it you up. Beast. You know the noises she makes when she's orgasming? It's like, <laughs> fuck you forever. So, Done. Everything after that, I didn't even hear it. I don't know what he said. What is, was he in the book? This is kind of like the Veronica Mars situation where, um, shoot, I can't remember his name now, but like the one guy you don't want her to end up with is the one guy that you're like, yes, yeah, she has to be with him. Um, so I want to see what Moss can do in terms of, like, convincing me to care about Tamlin again, because I don't think she can do it. So, Sarah... Did you guys... Were you guys into the uh, all additional storylines? I think we got an Asriel point of view. We got a, we got a bunch of Cassian point of views, like, um, in the novella. I mean, I, I appreciated it in that it, um, it like, it, it, it's a break from... Resand and Feyre, who now have nothing to do. Like, I don't really care. Wait, we didn't get an Asriel. I think he's the one we didn't yeah. get. We got more. We got one more. Yeah, we got yeah. more and Cassian and Nesta, and there might have been someone else in there somewhere. But I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's clear. I mean, it's clearly like she's trying to transition away from Resand and Feyre as the primary um, narrators. Uh, I will be curious to see if she keeps the third person perspective with. Um, with those or go or goes to her first person um, that she used with Feyre and Reese. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the o- the only side character that gave me like why is this why is so much being made of this character was the uh, the girl the Illyrian girl with the clipped wings. So I don't know. I feel like she, she comes back. I feel like that's Azrael's mate right there. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's 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 called having something in common. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and also there are no Illyrian women in this whole story, and it would be great to have one. Yeah, well, I guess you technically have. um, I no, because then Rhysand's mother wasn't Illyrian, was she? She was not Illyrian. She was. 
No, she was Illyrian. Oh, was she? But she's dead and like sort she's of. Dead. Yeah, like mm-hmm. so. We yeah, we really don't sister. have any yeah. Illyrian. Well, you have. You know, there would be another interesting side story is the Illyrian women that we see in the second book who are starting to train as mm-hmm. warriors. Mm-hmm. Again, and that would be like something Asriel can like. Do. Yeah. Yes. No, I'm on. I am on board with this. Elaine can fuck right the fuck off. <laughs> well, I, I really feel like like I don't know. Asriel needs a, a rebound from more but i also think that there's just a lot of elaine that reminds him of his mother and like he has to you know kind of deal with those feelings yeah. and separate like the sort of tender cherish protect instinct that he has for somebody like gentle and kind and homemaking from but it would be great if he could pair up with someone who was tough yeah and yeah. Like who who maybe took like a beating and instead of crumpling under it and needing to be protected, said, No, I'm gonna I went out and achieved anyway. It's like all the things he likes about more, mm-hmm. but available. Ex- yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, uh is there anything else you guys want to go over before I go to our closeout section? I feel complete. Yeah, I think I think complete? we covered everything I wanted to talk about. So I'm feeling good. All right. All right, so our first uh, question of three in the closeout section is, is it fashion? Um, yes, it definitely continues to be fashion. I think um, so. I, like, Mass always pays really good attention to the clothes, and, which I appreciate. There's some actually really good cosplay coming out now of her books. If you go on Instagram, uh, people are really bringing it. Yay! Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I feel like we got less fashion in this book than in the others, but there was still, like, the dress and Nesta and her, you know, when they're going to the High Lords meeting um, and the yeah, And they all have their style. Everyone has, like, a particular style. Like, you know what they would wear as a character mm-hmm. versus not. Like, all the High Lords have their own looks. Yeah, no, I definitely like, oh, uh, Tarquin, um, his, like, yeah. the, the, like, sort of sea fish thing going on. Like, mm-hmm. I want to see more of that. I think Tarquin's hot. I haven't seen him, but I think he's hot. <laughs> no, Tarquin. Tarquin was my was my uh, fuck in the last. He uh, my murder Mary fuck. Oh, mm-hmm. that was a good choice. So, <laughs> I know. Go me. Uh, so yeah, I agree. Is it fashion? So uh, this next one is murder Mary fuck. So who would you murder? Who would you marry? Who would you fuck? I, I'll start if if uh, if y'all don't have a ready option. Go for it. Go. All right. So my. Murder, uh, I've, I couldn't decide whether I still want to murder Tamlin or maybe switch it to <laughs> either Baron or Eris. Um, so, yeah, those are, that's solid. Like, I, yeah, that's I'm solid. like, I don't know, flip, flip a three-sided Eris coin a and any of, of it is good. Um, I'm, I, th- I think my, uh, my fuck on this one, I'm going to. I'm going to go with Lucian because of what you, mm, what you sent me in a, in a text where Amran <laughs> calls, oh, the, uh, the, the high lord of autumn's handsome son and you're like if an uh-huh. interdimensional being is saying he's <laughs> handsome you know that's like the hottest motherfucker you've ever seen um so i will hit that uh and then yeah, i think my mary good. is gonna be callius well, snuggle up to a so that's interesting to a lord that's of winter interesting who, to me you know. because he seems very chilly he seems very like locked up and like he's got this like exuberant wife, mm-hmm. but yeah, but he loved yeah. her. Like, and he, I, I think I think because like I related to her. Like, I definitely have like when when I when I'm balanced, I have that kind of like exuberance and sort of like 
puppy playful like social side mm-hmm. so i'm like mm, yep i can hold an army and i can hold you we're good <laughs> all right cool yeah we really didn't get into all of the high lords but uh i think i think my There's a lot of them my, my fuck would definitely be hallian in this one like he okay. just seems like yeah that would be he would be a lot of fun like yeah. he, he, he doesn't want to marry you but like you're gonna have a hell of a good time with him unless of course you're more um <laughs> which you are not i don't so. know i mean has cassian gone there yet i feel like that was anyway <laughs> um my kill oh goodness um i think i'd go with baron on this one because mm-hmm. again he's just he's one of those really frustrating stupid characters where you know so you're he, raising eris to high lord Is that yeah what i am and you know we didn't talk about that but um i do think eris could have an interesting and i want to hear the story i want to hear his side of the situation with more like he may be awful and he like he found a woman unconscious with stuff nailed to her body and left her there i think that's the story no that's... you know i'm interested i'm interested but anyway i would still i would kill baron um and then mary hmm hmm i don't know hmm. who would i marry in this scenario um it might be with elena on this one like yeah I think I'd I'd pursue that if he could love me for fifty years while being under the mountain, and then get out and marry me like on day one, and be like, "You're the love of my life. I've been waiting for you." I could do that. <laughs> that is nice. It is nice. Yeah, he's romantic. It was kind of a nice little romantic, romantic couple in the midst of like all this other drama going on. Like they had it sorted out. Mm-hmm. They got married. Now they're gonna live happily ever after. I like that. I'm gonna blow your minds. I'm blowing your minds. All right, <laughs> my murder is Elaine. Okay, my fuck is Jurian. Ooh, ooh, Jurian could yeah. be fun. That could be a hate fuck. Right I feel there. like. Yeah, I feel like that would be. Uh, you know, that'd be good. And I'm going to marry Cassian because fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question for closeout is, is there a worm in it? Um, Do any of our monsters qualify as worm? Worm with a Y. You could hmm. probably put like the weaver and this side of things because she's just got that level of grossness to her. Um... You know, I, I just like, because I always picture the human fat, right? And, you know, <laughs> right. the Middengard worm, you, like, Farah is, like, swimming through shit and muck and, like, gross stuff. And then you've got the weaver, and she gets caught in that chimney. And, like, you just... Well, I mean, Braxis is whatever, whatever he, the person looking at him. So that could mm-hmm. be a worm. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that's what I was going to say, is if, if anyone's greatest fear is, like, a worm, then Braxis becomes that. The bone carver could also... too, since he had that like I can be whatever. Yeah, he did. He uh, was very fluid in that sense. I mean, you could yeah. argue Amran in that sense as well, um, and her sort of explosion, right, of the celestial being. Mm-hmm. Like she has no form, really, right? Like you get a sense of wings, maybe, but that's it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, not not like an overt worm, but there's some implied worms. <laughs> implied worms. All right. <laughs> Um, well, that brings us, that brings us to the end of the journey of the court books. Uh, it was long. It was wonderful. Thank you guys. Elena, what are we reading next? All right. So, uh, what I'm going to assign next is, um, the series 
or at least the first book in the series. I won't make you read the rest if you hate it, but the first book in the series that I kind of feel like Mass was trying to... Made you read four books, but you're like, sure. (laughs) Um, I kind of, I think Mass was trying to to rewrite a little bit. Um, I don't know if she has ever, like, acknowledged drawing from them or being inspired by them, but um, Anne Bishop's Black Jewel series. So the first... Ooh, good choice. Good choice. The first Uh, one is, is... is daughter of the blood and um it's uh i don't know i'm I'm curious to uh to deconstruct it with you because it's awesome but problematic and there's just so much in that world that reminds me of stuff that mass used and i don't know if they're drawing okay. from the same source material or if mass was drawing from her that blew that book blew my little middle school brain wide open like I've, I'm still probably affected by these books and what Ann Bishop did. So, good choice, Elena. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I did, I did, I did offer her the, uh, the, the long, long promised and ever withheld dragon fucking. But then I was like, I don't know. I just don't think it's quite time yet. <laughs> it's not time for the dragon fucking. Is it ever a good not time quite. for the dragon fucking? I would say always. yes, always. always. <laughs> but yes. I'm going to let For her get sure. a little deeper into we'll a Regency end, romance. We'll just end up into, like, this endless, like, trading of, like, dragon fucking books. <laughs> and we're like, what about this dragon? Oh, yeah, this guy. This is good one. New podcast <laughs> idea, <horrible>. guys? <laughs> Fuck the dragon? I don't know what we call it. Well, I mean. Ride the dragon. <laughs> Ride the dragon. I like that one. <laughs> So many options with that. People will be like, this podcast is not about pot and I am disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, that's what that's what we're reading next. I can't wait to uh, to do some comparative lit cool. with you about it. So all right, cool. Well, thank you for, again, thank you for reading all 10,000 pages of Sarah J. Mass. Uh, you can get her books, read them, join join the fandom. Uh, and that's, that's that. That's the end of that journey. <laughs> Until the next one. But it'll be a while. I think it's 2020. Uh, uh, happy reading, and I'll talk to you next time. Oh.